Welcome to the weekly sermon at Gateway. My name is Jason McNabb, and this is the weekly sermon from Gateway Community Church. We're excited to be able to share inspiring and meaningful messages to help you grow in Christ. To learn more about our ministry, please visit us at gatewaycrc.org. Now let's dive into God's Word together with this week's message. To Revelation 3, verses 1 to 6. Um, Oftentimes these days we're using Bible apps on our phones to do that, or perhaps you brought a Bible with you, um, but the words will also be on the screen, and so I I think they'll be on the screen. Uh, Don't quote me on that. looks like they will be, so uh, at our church they're on the screen. Um, and, uh, and we will, we will open God's word together and we will allow his Holy Spirit, just as Pastor Justin prayed, to usher us into his presence. So let's do that now. Revelation 3, starting at verse 1. It says this. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Yet, you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches." Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ. At my home church, Cornerstone Christian Reformed Church, we did a sermon series somewhat similar, perhaps, I guess you'll be able to see as I unpack this, but perhaps it was somewhat similar to a sermon series Gateway did about a year ago, a sermon series on Revelation. But I believe your sermon series focused on the whole book of Revelation, and what we did as a, as a church at, at Cornerstone Christian Reformed Church, in partners with our sister church in Agassiz, we focused in on the seven sermons to the seven churches at the beginning of the book of Revelation. One of my conversation partners for this sermon series has been Calvin Seminary professor Jeff Wyma, who recently released a book on the seven sermons to the seven churches, who I believe uh, led a workshop here um, not too long ago. And so there's a lot of neat convergences here as we walk through God's word together. And I'm delighted to be with you all, uh, like I said, sharing God's word and, uh, and diving a little bit deeper into the book of Revelation this morning. Is my mic okay? Is there something I can do to make it uh, stop, stop making that sound? We're good? Okay. Just want to check. It might be my fault, right? I don't want to... The sound booth might be being like, just move it a bit closer, you know, or something like that. So, good. Alrighty. Now, a sermon on any of the seven sermons to the seven churches can be a daunting task. For one thing, uh, I have to preach a sermon that's about a half hour long based on a sermon that Jesus wrote that's only ten lines long. 
That doesn't seem very fair, now does it? Of course, I'm kidding. Um, um, Ten lines from Jesus is enough, as Jeff Wyma has shown us, to fill a whole book, and then some, and that's just one of the books written on these very powerful and profound sermons, so I'm actually very excited to be able to do that with you. Um, And even then, after many, many books are written, we'll still only be scratching the surface. But the main reason why these sermons are sometimes hard to preach is that they can be quite intense. A lot of the sermons of the seven to the seven churches are filled with words of judgment that inspire fear in us. And today's sermon, as you probably noted as we read it earlier, is no exception. Now, these, these, these are, are uncomfortable things to sit with sometimes. Words of judgment can be, uh, uh, inspire feelings of condemnation and guilt in us, and I don't actually want us to feel that way this morning. I would like us to feel liberated, and I believe that's ultimately the hope of all of these sermons, that, that we would feel freed and liberated, that our sins would be called out, but not to push us down, to set us free, to pick us up. As Pastor Justin prayed, repentance means running home, and we will, we will see that as we, as we continue. Now, Dr. Jeff Wyma, who I already mentioned, notes in his book that where most other sermons begin with praise and make their way to criticism, the criticism is very real in, these pas- in, in this passage, and the sermon to Sardis, Sardis starts with criticism right out the gate. I know your deeds, Jesus says, which if you look at the other sermons, every time Jesus says, I know your deeds, he usually follows it up with some commending deeds. I know your deeds, and then he shares some positive deeds that the church is doing. But in this church, to the church in Sardis, Jesus says, I know your deeds. You have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. You are dead. It doesn't get much more critical than that, does it? Now, of course, by you are dead, Jesus doesn't mean literally dead. He means spiritually dead. They have a reputation for being alive. But when Jesus says they have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead, that means that this is most likely a church that has a vibrant ministry programming calendar. If this was a Christian Reformed church, which Gateway is part of the, Christ, the network of Christian Reformed churches, and so is my home church at Cornerstone, and so if this was a Christian Reformed church, they would, the, the community would probably say that their Cadets and Gems program are thriving. That's our boys and girls ministry. They have a vibrant youth group. Their pastor's sermons are fiery and full of life. They're, perhaps they're even uh, with the reputation for being alive, doing active work for the homeless in their community. And yet, Jesus says, you are dead. Why would Jesus say you are dead to a church that has this reputation for being alive? We will see shortly. Then to this church, Jesus issues a series of five commands. Where most other sermons have one or two or maybe three commands, this sermon has five. And the commands are this. Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die. Remember what you received and heard. Hold it fast, or some translations say keep it, and repent. So we can know that by you are dead, Jesus means spiritually dead, because Jesus is telling them to wake up. And here already we see some of the good news to this church in our sermon. 
Yes, you are spiritually dead, but Jesus wants you to wake up. Then our second command, strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished or incomplete, other translations say, in the sight of my God. So we're going to spend a little bit of time unpacking this idea of being unfinished or incomplete. This, this idea of unfinished or incomplete is a recurring theme in the book of Revelation. And the idea here is you are so close to the truth, so close to reality, but ultimately you fall short of it. Fun fact, uh, this is actually the idea behind the book of Revelation's number 666. Some of us know that this number 666 is the mark of the beast. The mark of the beast, which the beast representing the Roman Caesar or even the devil. But have you ever asked yourself why the biblical writers and why the Holy Spirit inspired them to choose the number 666 in particular? How did they arrive at this number? Well, this is interesting because in the book of Revelation, you may have heard this in the, in the Revelation series that you did a, a year ago, but in, in the book of Revelation, we hear over and over again about this number seven, and the number seven biblically refers to this idea of completeness and perfection. And so, incidentally, we see this in our passage this morning. We have, um, the, the, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God. And when Jesus talks about the seven spirits of God, he's not referring to seven specific different holy spirits. He's using the number seven to symbolize perfection, completeness, fullness. And so in contrast, the number 666 is an idea of incompleteness. The idea here of 666 is you are so close to that seven, so close to the perfection that God has for you, but ultimately, you fall short of it. If we were to punch in a division figure on a calculator, I'm sure some of you have done this before, and, and what ends up happening once in a while is you'll get this 6.66666. So this is why it's not just one six, but the number is 666, because it functions like a repeating decimal number. The 666 that goes on for eternity. For eternity, if you had a long enough calculator, the, when you punch in a certain division figure and re receive 6.666, that 6 would go on for eternity. And so the idea with the 666 instead of just one 6 is that it stretches on for eternity. So you're eternally so close to that 7 but you never quite roll over. And so this is something of what it means when Jesus says, says um, he has found their deeds to be incomplete or unfinished in the sight of his God. Congregation, this is true for all of us whenever we try to do something in our own strength and in our own power. No matter how well-intentioned or good it is, if the power powering our deeds is our own human goodness, our, our, our efforts will result in a six and not a seven. We can try to fake it till we make it, to perform our good works for the world disconnected from the reality of God, but eventually... If our, if our efforts are based on our own strength, we won't make it. 
That 666 will never roll over into a 7 if it's based on our own human striving. Daryl Johnson, a professor at Regent College, uses, the me- uses a metaphor in his commentary on this passage of that of a water skier. All you really need in order to water ski is to remain connected to the boat. And as long as you're connected to the boat, you can be free and ski. But as soon as you let go of the tow rope, you may have the appearance that you're still skiing. It might even look cooler than a skier who's connected to the boat for a few seconds. But the amount of feet that you can go are numbered. You are about to sink. This is likely what Jesus means with the words, strengthen what remains and is about to die. As long as the church in Sardis is going about their business, having a reputation from being a vibrant church, if they're cut off from the source that originally gave them their life, they might look like a cool water skier, but they have lost their connection and their days are numbered. They are dead, even if they don't know yet that they are dead. A phrase often used in our culture for this type of self-powered living is, you want to make it on your own steam. And usually that's followed by, good for you. You want to make it on your own steam. You don't need others. You can power yourself. But in reality, this type of living is a tragedy. For all of us are the product of friends and family who love and support and pray for us. And most importantly, we are the product of a loving God who breathed his life into us when we were born. So we need to wake up. We need to wake up, strengthen what remains and is is about to die. And we need to connect back to our source, which leads us to the other three commands, which are remember what you received and heard, hold it fast, and repent. Now, normally when the word repent is used in Scripture, it's put at the end of the list, such as repent and believe the good news. First you repent and then believe the good news. But here with this church that has a reputation for being alive... Perhaps the reason repent is put at the end of the list is that they, they, were once, they once were connected to their source, Jesus Christ, and only recently, or maybe in the last number of years, have departed and started to go on and power themselves by their own steam. And so the more important thing for this church, potentially, is not so much to repent, although that is very important, but Jesus starts with remember. Remember what you received and heard. Remember the heights from which you have fallen, Jesus says elsewhere in Scripture. And then hold it fast, or other translations say, keep it, and indeed, repent. But I want to probe for us a little bit deeper what exactly it means to hold fast to the commands of Jesus, to live life in accordance with, with his word. What does that mean? Dr. Jeff Wyma, the the professor at Calvin Seminary, whose commentary I used uh, extensively in in this series and who who our church used, he says, hold it fast can also be translated as keep it or even obey. We need to obey the commands of Scripture, which is true. But what does obeying mean? Obeying can't just mean an outward performance of good deeds because as we've seen, 
from the church in Sardis, their outward performance is pretty good. They had a reputation for being alive. So what does this idea of hold fast mean? Well, I'll give you an example from my personal life. In my life, I have a tendency to be a people pleaser, and so most days I try to appear as a selfless and loving person, appear being the key word here. But I find when my motivation for being a selfless, loving person is to appear or have a reputation for being a loving, selfless person, and it's not motivated by a desire to truly love God and to truly love my neighbor as myself, I find quickly my selfless appearance turns into pride, and then that pride turns into resentment, and I find myself frustrated and angry and even bitter. Why don't people notice me? How come no, no one's giving me credit for what I've been doing? Which reveals the root motivation all along has actually been a selfish desire, not a selfless desire to love God and to serve my neighbor. And that's because, to use that water skiing analogy again, I've become disconnected from the boat when I feel that way. And so for me, this might be, your rhythm might be different for you, but for me, I know it's important to do devotions every single morning. Every morning I wake up, I have to at least read a little bit of scripture. I always pray the Lord's Prayer um, as often as I remember. And, and, then, and then go deeper into prayer with God, even just for five or ten minutes a day. And if I, know, I know if I do that, then I will have the strength and the power I need to live through my day. And on those days when I find myself feeling bitter and frustrated and resentful, I have to think to myself, did I do my devotions this morning? And nine times out of ten, the answer is no, I did not. And so I don't know if that particular rhythm will work for you, but that's the way I do it. And maybe even throughout my life, it will adapt to a different rhythm. I know some people do devotions in the evening, but these are all ways that we have to hold fast to Christ. To Christ. And this is what Scripture and our confessions point us to. All of our scriptures and all of our confessions and creeds point us to Christ, ultimately. We're supposed to look past those things to Jesus. To Jesus. Same with our worship services. Whenever we get here together on Sunday and worship, we aren't worshiping worship. That would be idolatry. We come here to look past the worship service to our living God. Our passage continues. He says, If you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. And this is very interesting. Because other places in Scripture, Jesus describes his coming as like a thief in the night, which is to say it will be unexpected. No one will know the day or the hour, and that's true. But the way it's written in this passage is very interesting. He says, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief. Which is to say, if you are not connected to the boat, if you are not remaining in the vine, to use a more biblical analogy from the book of John, if you're not remaining in Christ, he will, his coming will be like a thief. 
But if you are remaining in Christ, his coming won't be completely like a thief to you because why? You will know him. You won't know a thief. That's the, by very nature of being a thief. They have to sneak in at night and they have to wear a mask and disguise themselves. But, but if you know him, his coming won't be completely like a thief to you because you will be familiar when he comes. So, my brothers and sisters at Gateway Christian Reformed Church, let me ask you this morning, do you know him? Do you know Jesus? If Jesus were to walk through those doors right now, would you recognize him? And this isn't necessarily a visual thing. We remember in the garden when Jesus appeared to Mary after he rose from the dead, she didn't immediately recognize him, but she knew him. And when he spoke her name, she recognized him. Let's keep reading. Because there's a little glimmer of light here in a rather negatively focused sermon. Jesus says this, Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. The one who is victorious, or other translations say, the one who overcomes, will like them be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. Family of God, to be victorious and dressed in white has nothing to do with simply performing outward actions. Because the dead church in Sardis had plenty of outward actions and they were still deemed dead. To be victorious has to do with knowing God and being known by God. Can you imagine what it means to have your name written in the book of life? To have your name acknowledged by Jesus before the Father and his angels? Can you imagine the God of the universe calling your name? In particular, not just calling Gateway CRC, but calling your name. It's so much deeper and so much simpler at the same time than simply holding fast to the truth of Scripture, than doing personal devotions, than trying to live out God's commands. As I said earlier, all those things are trying to point us to this profound truth. We are in relationship with the triune God. We can know and be known by the living God. Dear friends of Jesus Christ, listen to this. Salvation is not about what you know, it's about who you know. Jesus says in John 14, verse 15, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Too often we take that verse backwards to mean, If you love me, prove it by keeping my commandments. But that is not what the verse says. The verse says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Which is to say, loving God has a natural consequence of keeping his commandments. The scribes and the Pharisees of Jesus' day kept the letter of the law to a T, outwardly. But they were dead inside. They were disconnected from the vine, disconnected from the source of all their power, which is God. Outward deeds are nothing without remaining in the vine, without staying connected to the source. Everything in life, our families, our work, our vocation, and even our life here in church, 
if it's not done out of a rich connection to the living God, our good deeds are an illusion. Our vine will dry up and be thrown out. You, we will effectively have let go of the tow rope of the boat and we will start to sink. So my brothers and sisters in Christ, remain connected to Christ. Remain in him. We do this by coming to church. We do this through personal devotions. We do this by holding fast to our creeds and confessions. But like I said, and this is the third time I'll, I'll say it now because it's so important, all of these things are not ends in themselves. They are good insofar as they help us to wake up to the truth of Scripture, which is this. In Christ, God has already united himself to you. The Christian church has confessed throughout the ages that when Jesus took on flesh, he didn't just pick a random body. He took on all flesh. He took on humanity. And when he died on the cross for our sins, he died for all of our sins. And then he buried them in the ground with him in his death, and he rose triumphant over them in his life. And now he sends his Holy Spirit to give that life to each one of us. As the book of Romans chapter 8 says, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ is a spirit of adoption, which adopts us into the family of God, which pulls us up into the life of the triune God. Now we call God our Father the way Jesus called God our Father, through the gift of the Holy Spirit. So I invite us all this morning to wake up because that's just reality. Quit sleeping in the dark, thinking that we could save ourselves with our good deeds. The living God has already reconnected us back to the vine through the work of his son, Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit is here in this building and he is reconnecting us all to the source of all love and the source of all power. And the scripture finishes, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Please join me in prayer. Loving God, we are humbled at your feet. We cannot do this without you. We have tried. We confess that we have tried. We have tried. Some of us have tried so many times. And have failed. We've come into church communities, friend groups. We felt like we had to perform. We had to fake it till we make it. We, we, we had to put it on. And we strived and we strived and we burnt out. And so, Lord, reconnect us to the vine. Rekindle that fire that was once burning brightly within us. Or light it up for the first time. That we may also be a light in our community groups, in our church life. That we can bring our light, empowered only by your Holy Spirit. That we can speak the truth as you show it to us. That we can feel, and ultimately and most importantly, we can feel your fatherly embrace. You love us just the way we are. 
And yet you won't leave us where we are in the negative sense. You'll heal us. You'll bind up our wounds every day as we walk closer and closer into deeper relationship with you. We pray this all in the mighty name of your son, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Well, here at Gateway, it is our sincere hope that you would be built up in your faith and in your walk before Christ through this message and every day as you study God's word. To learn more about our ministry, please visit us at gatewaycrc.org. I'm Jason McNabb. Please join us next time for the weekly sermon at Gateway.